as on the previous day a magnificent repast appeared but alidor did not join it as he did the first he was in love and even a little jealous for it often recurred to him that his shepherdess had spoken with some interest to iphis the promise however that she had made him that he should see her the next day in the meadow soothed a little his vexation the little cupid waited on him during his repast but alidor occupied by his new anxiety spoke not a word to him the table disappeared and the child approaching alidor presented him with two magnificent miniature cases and then flew away the handsome shepherd opened one of the cases hastily it contained a portrait of a young female of such perfect beauty that imagination can scarcely conceive it under this marvelous miniature was written in letters of gold thy happiness depends on her affection one must have seen my shepherdess said alidor gazing on the beautiful portrait not to be enchanted by so lovely a person he closed the case and flung it carelessly on a table he then opened the other case which the little cupid had given to him but what was his astonishment at the sight of the portrait of his shepherdess resplendent with all the charms that had made so lively an impression on his heart she was painted as he had seen her on that very day her hair dressed with flowers and the little that appeared of her dress was that of a shepherdess the handsome shepherd was so transported with his love that he gazed on it for a long time without perceiving that the following words were written beneath the portrait forget her attractions or thy love will be fatal to thee alas exclaimed alidor without her could there be any happiness this ecstasy delighted young and handsome the beautiful face he had contemplated unmoved was only a fancy portrait the young fairy was desirous of ascertaining whether her shepherd would prefer her to so beautiful a person and who appeared to be a goddess or a fairy convinced of the love of alidor she returned to her palace after having assembled her nymphs by a signal that had been agreed upon it was the illumination of the sky by some harmless lighting and since that time such is often to be seen on a summer evening unaccompanied by thunder the nymphs rejoined her they had also desired to hear something more of their lovers some of them were sufficiently pleased they had found their swains occupied with recollections of them and speaking of them with ardor but others were less satisfied with the effect of their beauty they found their shepherds fast asleep a man may sometimes appear very much in love during the day who was not sufficiently so for his passion to keep him awake all night the young fairy retired to rest as soon as she arrived at her palace charmed with the sincere affection of her shepherd she had no other anxiety than the agreeable one rising from her impatience to see him again as to alidor he slept a little and without alarming himself at the warnings which he had read beneath the two miniatures he thought only of returning to the meadow he hoped to see his shepherdess there during the day it seemed to him that he could not get there soon enough he led his charming flock to the fortunate spot where he had seen young and handsome his pretty dog took good care of it the comely shepherd could think of nothing but his shepherdess young and handsome was much against her will occupied that morning receiving the ambassadors of several neighboring monarchs never were audiences so short yet notwithstanding a considerable portion of the day passed in the performance of these tiresome ceremonies the young fairy suffered as much as her shepherd whose keen impatience caused him a thousand torments the sun had set alidor had no longer any hope of seeing his shepherdess that day how great was his grief he deplored his fate he sighed incessantly he made verses on her absence and with the ferrule of his crook engraved them on the trunk of a young elm 
you on whom Venus looks with envious eyes, while round your steps her truant graces play, you on whose glances Cupid so relies that he has thrown all other darts away. How wretched in your absence must I be who prize you every earthly bliss above, and yet my sorrow has a charm for me, its gloom is but the shadow of my love. As he finished carving these lines, young and handsome appeared in the meadow at a distance, with her nymphs all still attired as shepherdesses. Alidor recognized her a long way off. He ran, he flew towards young and handsome, who received him with a smile so charming that it would have increased the felicity of the gods themselves. He told his love to her with an ardor capable of persuading a heart less tenderly inclined towards him than that of the young fairy. She desired to see what he had carved on the tree, and was charmed with the talent and affection of her shepherd. He related to her all that happened to him in the preceding evening, and offered a thousand times to follow her to the end of the world, to fly from the love which a goddess or fairy had unfortunately conceived for him. "'My loss would be too great should you fly from that fairy,' replied young and handsome, in her sweetest manner. "'It is no longer necessary for me to disguise my sentiments from you.' as I am convinced of the sincerity of yours. It is I, Alidor, continued the charming fairy, it is I who have given you these proofs of an affection which, if you continue faithful to me, will endure your happiness and mine for ever. The handsome shepherd, transported with love and joy, flung himself at her feet. His silence appeared more eloquent to the young fairy than the most finished oration. She bade him rise, and he found himself superbly attired. The fairy, then touching the ground with her crook, there appeared a magnificent car, drawn by twelve white horses of surpassing beauty. They were harnessed four abreast. Young and handsome stepped into the car, and caused the comely shepherd to take his seat beside her. Her nymphs found room in it also, and as soon as they had all taken their places, the beautiful horses, who had no occasion for a driver to intimate to them the intentions of their mistress, swiftly conveyed the whole party to a favorite chateau belonging to the young fairy. She had adorned it with everything that her art could furnish her with in the way of wonders. It was called the Castle of Flowers, and was the most charming residence in the world. The young fairy and her happy lover arrived with the attendant nymphs in a spacious courtyard, the walls of which were formed out of thick hedges of jasmines and lemon trees. They were only breast high. Beneath them ran a lovely river, which encompassed the courtyard. Beyond it, a charming grove, and then fields stretching as far as the eye could see, through which the said river made a thousand windings, as unwilling to quit so beautiful a home. The castle was more to be admired for its architecture than for its size. It contained twelve apartments, each of which had its peculiar beauty. They were very spacious, but there was not room enough in them for the residence of young and handsome and all her court, which was the most numerous and magnificent in the universe. The young fairy used this castle but as a place of retreat, she was accompanied thither generally by only her most favorite nymphs and the officers of her household. She led the shepherd into the myrtle room. All the furniture was made of myrtles in continual blossom, interlaced with an art that displayed the power and good taste of the young fairy, even in the most simple things. All the rooms in the castle were furnished in the same manner, with flowers only. The air breathed in them was always fragrant and pure. Young and handsome, by her power, had banished forever from the spot the rigors of winter, and if the heats of summer were ever permitted to penetrate these agreeable bowers, it was only to render more enjoyable the beautiful baths attached to the building, 
which were delicious. The apartment was of white and blue porphyry, exquisitely sculptured, the baths being the most curious and agreeable forms. That in which Young and Handsome bathed was made out of a single topaz and placed on a platform in an alcove of porcelain. Four columns, composed of amethysts of the most perfect beauty, supported the canopy of magnificent yellow and silver brocade, embroidered with pearls. Alidor, absorbed by the happiness of beholding the charming fairy and remarking her affection for him, scarcely noticed all these marvels. A delightful and tender conversation detained these happy lovers for a long time in the Myrtle Room. A splendid supper was served in the Jonquil Saloon. An elegant entertainment followed. The nymphs acted to music the loves of Diana and Endymion. Young and Handsome forgot to return to her palace and passed the night in the Narcissus' chamber. Alidor, entranced with love, was long before he tasted the sweets of slumber in the Myrtle Room, to which he was conducted by the nymphs on the termination of the entertainment. Young and Handsome, who forbore to use her power to calm such agreeable emotions, also laid awake till near daybreak. Alidor, impatient to behold again the charming fairy, awaited the happy moment for some time in the Jonquil Saloon. He had neglected nothing in his attire which could add a grace to his natural attractions. Young and Handsome appeared a thousand times more lovely than Venus. She passed a part of the day with Alidor and the nymphs in the garden of the castle, the beauties of which surpassed the most marvellous description. There was an agreeable little fête champêtre in a delicious grove, where an Alidor, during a favourable opportunity, had the sweet pleasure of professing his ardent love to Young and Handsome. She desired that same evening to return to her palace, but promised Alidor to come back to him the next day. Never has such an absence of a few hours been honoured by so many regrets. The handsome shepherd passionately desired to follow the young fairy, but she commanded him to remain in the castle of flowers. She wished to hide her attachment from the eyes of all her court. No one entered this castle without her order, and she had no fear that her nymphs would disclose her secret. The secrets of a fairy are always safe. They are never divulged. The punishment would follow the offense too swiftly. Young and Handsome asked Alidor for the pretty dog which had always followed him, that she might take it with her. Everything is dear to us that pleases those we love. After the departure of the young fairy, the shepherd, to indulge in his anxiety, rather than to dissipate it, plunged deeper into the woods to muse on his adorable mistress. In a little meadow, enameled with flowers and watered by an agreeable spring, which arose near the middle of the wood, he perceived his flock gambling in the grass. It was watched by six young female slaves with handsome features dressed in blue and gold, with golden chains and collars. His favorite sheep recognized her master and ran to him. Alidor caressed her and was deeply touched by the attentions of Young and Handsome to everything which concerned him. The young slave showed Alidor their hut. It was not far from the spot at the end of the beautiful and very shady alley. This little dwelling was built of cedar. The initials of Young and Handsome and Alidor entwined together appeared in every part of it, formed with the rarest woods. The following inscription was written in letters of gold upon a large turquoise. Let the flock of him I love in these meads forever rove. By that shepherd loved, the lot of the gods I envy not. The handsome shepherd returned to the castle of flowers, enchanted by the kindness of the young fairy. He declined any entertainment that evening. When absent from those we love, what care we for amusements? Young and handsome returned the next day, as she had promised, to her happy lover. 
What joy was theirs to behold each other again? All the power of the young fairy had never procured for her so much felicity. She passed nearly all her time at the Castle of Flowers, and rarely now appeared at the court. In vain did the princes, her suitors, grieve almost to death at her absence. Everything was sacrificed to the fortunate Alidor. But could so sweet a happiness last long untroubled? Another fairy, besides young and handsome, had seen the beautiful shepherd and felt her heart also touched by his charms. One evening that young and handsome had gone to show herself for a few moments to her court, Alidor, engrossed by his passion, sat deeply musing in the jonquil saloon, when his attention was awakened by a slight noise at one of the windows, and, on looking towards it, he perceived a brilliant light, and the next moment he saw on a table, near which he was seated, a little creature, about half a yard high, very old, with hair whiter than snow, a standing collar, and an old-fashioned farthingale. "'I am the fairy Morticante,' she said to the handsome shepherd, "'and I come to announce to thee a much greater happiness "'than that of being beloved by young and handsome.' "'What can that be?' inquired Alidor with a contemptuous air. "'The gods have none more perfect for themselves. "'It is that of pleasing me,' replied the old fairy hauntingly. I love thee, and my power is far greater than that of young and handsome, and almost equals that of the gods. Abandon that young fairy for me. I will revenge thee on thine enemies, and on all whom thou wilt injure. Thy favors are useless to me, answered the young shepherd, with a smile. I have no enemies, and I would injure no one. I am too well satisfied with my own lot. And if the charming fairy I adore were but a simple shepherdess, I could be as happy with her in a cottage as I am now in the loveliest place in the world. At these words the wicked fairy became suddenly as tall and as large as she had hitherto been diminutive, and disappeared making a horrible noise. The next morning young and handsome returned to the castle of flowers. Alidor related his adventure. They both knew the fairy Morticante. She was very aged, and had always been ugly and exceedingly susceptible. Young and handsome and her happy lover made a thousand jokes upon her passion, and never for a moment felt the least uneasiness as to the consequences of her fury. Can one be a happy lover and think of future misfortunes? A week afterwards, young and handsome and the lovely shepherd took an excursion in a fine barge, gilt all over, on the beautiful river which encircled the castle of flowers, followed by all their little court in the prettiest boats in the world. The barge of Young and Handsome was shaded by a canopy formed of a light blue and silver tissue. The dresses of the rowers were of the same material. Other small boats, filled with excellent musicians, accompanied the happy lovers and performed some agreeable airs. Alidor, more enamored than ever, could gaze on nothing but Young and Handsome, whose beauty appeared that day more charming than can be described. In the midst of their enjoyment they saw twelve sirens rise out of the water, and a moment afterwards twelve tritons appeared, and, joining the sirens, encircled with them the little bark of young and handsome. The tritons played some extraordinary airs on their shells, and the sirens sang some graceful melodies, which, for a while, entertained the young fairy and the beautiful shepherd. Young and handsome, who was accustomed to wonders, imagined that it was some pageant which had been prepared by those whose duty it was to contribute to her pleasure by inventing new entertainments. But... All on a sudden, 
these perfidious tritons and sirens, laying hold of the young fairy's boat, dragged it under water. The only danger which Alidor feared was that which threatened the young fairy. He attempted to swim to her, but the tritons carried him off despite his resistance, and, young and handsome, borne away by the sirens in the meanwhile, was transported into her palace. One fairy having no power over another, the jealous Mordicante was compelled to limit her vengeance to the making young and handsome endure all the misery so cruel a bereavement would necessarily occasion. In the meanwhile, Alidor was conveyed by the Tritons to a terrible castle guarded by winged dragons. It was there that Mordicante had determined to make herself beloved by the beautiful shepherd, or to be revenged on him for his disdain. He was placed in a very dark chamber. Mordicante, blazing with the most beautiful jewels in the world, appeared to him and professed her affection for him. The shepherd, exasperated at being torn from young and handsome, treated the wicked fairy with all the contempt she deserved. What could equal the rage of Mordicante? But her love was still too violent to permit her to destroy the object of it. After detaining Alidor several days in this frightful prison, she resolved to endeavor to conquer the faithful shepherd by new artifices. She transported him suddenly to a magnificent palace. He was served with a sumptuousness which had not been exceeded in the Castle of Flowers. Endeavors were made to dissipate his grief by a thousand agreeable entertainments, and the most beautiful nymphs in the universe, who composed his court, appeared to dispute with each other the honor of pleasing him. Not a word more was said to him respecting the passion of the wicked fairy, but the faithful shepherd languished in the midst of luxury and was in no less despair at his separation from young and handsome when witnessing the gayest entertainments than he had been whilst immured in his dreadful prison. Mordicante trusted, however, that the absence of young and handsome, the continual round of pleasures provided for Alidor's amusement, and the presence of so many charming women, would at length overcome the fidelity of the shepherd, and her object in surrounding him with so many beautiful nymphs was but to take herself the figure of one which might most attract his attention. With this view, she mingled amongst them in disguise, sometimes appearing as the most charming brunette, and at others as the fairest beauty in the universe. Love, who was all-powerful in human hearts, had subdued for a time her natural cruelty, but desperation at being unable to shake the constancy of Alidor reawakened her fury so powerfully that she determined to destroy the charming shepherd and make him the victim of the faithful love he cherished for young and handsome. One day, without being seen, she was watching him in a beautiful gallery, the windows of which opened upon the sea. Alidor, leaning over a balustrade, mused in silence for a considerable time. But, at length, and after a heavy sigh, he uttered such tender and touching lamentations, depicting so vividly his passion for the young fairy, that Mordicante, transported with fury, appeared to him in her natural shape, and, after having loaded him with reproaches, caused him to be carried back to his prison, and announced to him that in three days he should be sacrificed to her hatred, and that the most cruel tortures should avenge her slighted affection. Alidor regretted not the loss of a life which had become insupportable to him, deprived of young and handsome, and satisfied that he had nothing to fear on her account from the wrath of Mordicante, the power of the young fairy being equal to hers, he calmly awaited the death he had been doomed to. In the meanwhile, young and handsome, as faithful as her shepherd, mourned over his loss. 
The sirens who had wafted her back to her palace had disappeared as soon as their task was accomplished, and the young fairy was convinced that it was the cruel Mordicante who had bereft her of Alidor. The excess of her grief proclaimed at the same time to all her court her love for the young shepherd and her loss of him. How many monarchs were envious of the misery even into which the wicked fairy had precipitated Alidor? What vexation for those enamored princes to learn that they had a beloved rival and to behold young and handsome occupied only in weeping for this fortunate mortal. His loss, however, revived their hopes. They had discovered at last that young and handsome could feel as well as inspire affection. They redoubled their attentions. Each flattered himself with the sweet hope to occupy some day the place of that fortunate lover. But young and handsome, inconsolable for the absence of Alidor, and worried by the advances of his rivals, abandoned her court, and retired to the Castle of Flowers. The sight of those charming scenes, where everything recalled to her heart the recollection of the lovely shepherd, increased her melancholy and her affection. One day, as she was walking in her beautiful gardens, and gazing on the various objects with which they were adorned, she exclaimed aloud, Alas, ye were formerly my delight! but I am now too much absorbed by my sorrow to take any further interest in your embellishment. As she ceased speaking, she heard the murmur of a gentle breeze that, agitating the flowers of this beautiful garden, arranged them instantaneously in various forms. First, they represented the initials of Young and Handsome, then those of another name which she was not acquainted with, and, in a moment afterwards, they formed distinctly entire words, and, Young and Handsome, astonished at this novelty, read these verses written in so singular a fashion. Bid fond Zephyr tend thy bowers, at his breath awake the flowers. Thus for Flora every morn doth he mead and grove adorn. How much more his pride twould be, fairer nymph, to sigh for thee. Young and Handsome was pondering on these verses when she saw the deity named in them appear in the air and hastened to declare his passion to her. He was in a little car of roses, drawn by a hundred white canary birds, harnessed ten and ten, with strings of pearl. The car approached the earth, and Zephyr descended from it, close to the young fairy. He addressed her with all the eloquence of a very charming and very gallant divinity. But the young fairy, in lieu of feeling flattered by so brilliant a conquest, replied to him like a faithful lover. Zephyr was not disheartened by the coldness of Young and Handsome. He hoped to soften her by his attentions. He paid his court to her most assiduously, and neglected nothing that he thought could please her. The glory of Alidor was now complete. He had a god for his rival, and was preferred to him by Young and Handsome. Nevertheless, this fortunate mortal was on the point of being destroyed by the fury of Mordicante. A year had nearly elapsed since the young fairy and the beautiful shepherd had been torn from each other, when Zephyr, who had given up all hopes of shaking the constancy of young and handsome, and was moved by the tears which he saw her unceasingly shed for the loss of Alidor, exclaimed one day on finding her more depressed than usual. Since it is no longer possible for me to flatter myself, charming fairy, that I shall ever have the good fortune to gain your affections, I am desirous of contributing at least to your felicity. What can I do to make you happy? To make me happy, replied Young and Handsome, with a look so full of tenderness that it was enough to revive all the love of Zephyr. 
you must restore to me my Alador. I am powerless against another fairy, but you, Zephyr, you are a god, and can destroy all the spells of my cruel rival. I will endeavor, rejoined Zephyr, to subdue the tender sentiments you have inspired me with sufficiently to enable me to render you an agreeable service. So saying, he flew away, leaving young and handsome to indulge in a sweet hope. Zephyr did not deceive her. He was not in the habit of loving for any length of time, without the certainty of eventual success, and it was evident to him that the young fairy was too constant for him to hope that he could ever make her forget Alidor. He therefore flew to the horrible prison where the beautiful shepherd awaited nothing less than death. An impetuous wind, swelled by six northern breezes that accompanied Zephyr, blew open in an instant the gates of the dungeon, and the beautiful shepherd, enveloped in a very brilliant cloud, was wafted to the castle of flowers. Zephyr, after he had seen Alidor, was less surprised at the constancy of young and handsome, but he did not make himself visible to the shepherd until he had restored him to the charming fairy. Who could describe the perfect joy of Alidor and young and handsome at seeing each other once more? How lovely each appeared, and how fondly was each beloved! What thanks did not these fortunate lovers render to the deity who had secured their happiness? He left them shortly afterwards to return to Flora. Young and Handsome was anxious that all her court should share in her felicity. They celebrated it by a thousand festivities throughout her empire, despite the vexation of the princes, her less fortunate lovers, who were the spectators of the triumphs of the beautiful shepherd. In order to have nothing more to fear for Alidor from the wrath of Mordicante, Young and Handsome taught him the fairy art and presented him with the gift of continual youth. Having thus provided for his happiness, she next considered his glory. She gave him the castle of flowers and caused him to be acknowledged king of that beautiful country over which his ancestors had formerly reigned. Alidor became the greatest monarch in the universe on the same spot where he had been the most charming shepherd. He loaded all his old friends with favors and, retaining forever his charms, as well as young and handsome, we are assured that they loved each other eternally and that Hymen would not disturb a passion which formed the happiness of their existence. End of section 12. Recording by Robert Robinson.